I must admit, this week when Nick was in here practicing, I came in and it brought a little tear to my eye to hear the organ again and to hear him playing and to be back. And I hope it's good for you this morning. It's great to hear you sing out in this place, making music to the Lord. Always good to come home. I don't know if you remember, but way back at the beginning of summer, as we first began to look at Paul, I told you a story about a wealthy merchant from Tarsus who was in search of Paul and who finally had come to Rome to find out that Paul was in prison. He met with him when he was done. He said to the person that had received him, what's the source of his power? The guy said, well, it's that the fact that Paul is in love with Jesus. The man responded, is that all? And the man responded to him, sir, that's everything. Because I say that because that's where we are in our reading today. Paul is in Rome. In our series, Diaspero, we have journeyed this summer through many places with many people, with Peter and Barnabas, with Philip and Silas, and we have journeyed with Paul. And Paul was promised by the Lord that he would get to come to Rome and to speak, and that promise has now been fulfilled even though Paul is under arrest. He's going to be under arrest for two years, as you heard. House arrest, I guess I would call it. He was allowed to rent a house. He was allowed a whole lot of freedom. He was chained, though, chained to a soldier. And those guards were traded out many different times. But think about that for an instance. Think about being chained to a guard and all the conversations that Paul is going to have while he's in Rome and all the people that are going to come. Every one of those guards had to hear that because they were in the presence when Paul said those words. And those words that Paul would speak about Jesus, about the gospel, about his forgiveness, about who he was, would penetrate each one of those soldiers. And that word would then again go out from that place by them to carry it to barracks and to all places in the world. Paul wrote Ephesians and Colossians and Philippians while he was there in Rome in that house arrest. But more important than that, Paul wanted to reach those who were his brothers and sisters in the faith. And so it said after three days, he called together the local Jewish leader. Paul doesn't lose any time with that. Right away he wants to begin, and they come to him. And they hear what he has to say. He wants to be effective in his ministry. And that's why he talked about in our reading today what had happened to him in Jerusalem. That he didn't want them to think anything bad about him. He doesn't want anything to hinder what he has to say. He wants them to have a firsthand message of what took place in Jerusalem. He wants them to know that he is in chains now in Rome on account of what took place in Jerusalem on account of that leadership body, the Sanhedrin. Remember that that group was made up of three sets of people, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and those teachers of the law. And those two main groups, the Sadducees, were furious at Paul for his words in Jerusalem. Think about it. The Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, Paul's proclaiming in Jerusalem that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, has risen from the dead. They're enraged at those words. The Pharisees, who were of Caiaphas' group, 
They're enraged still because he didn't keep the law. Jesus didn't do what they knew they had to do in order to be right before God. And they were enraged because, remember what Caiaphas said, that Jesus was supplanting them and their place in their nation. But they said to Paul, we've heard no report from you, and we do want to hear about this sect. Who are these Christians? What is this way about? And it goes on and it says, Then they arranged to meet Paul on a certain day, and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and the prophets. And he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. And here again, we see how God uses us uses our circumstances in life, uses where we have come, what we have done, the things that have happened to us. Because he's using Paul in this situation, again, to these Jewish leaders. He's using Paul's background and his learning and his knowledge and his theology to speak to those. And when that group came back, it would have now included the rabbis of the synagogues and the teachers in Rome. They heard what Paul said. But I think it also shows us a how, how we are to work in different situations. We've seen that this summer, how we work inside the church as the body of believers, how we work outside the church. For inside the church, the word holds prominence already for us. We believe it is the inspired word of God. We hear what it says. It is effective, as it says, for teaching, for instruction, for rebuking. But those on the outside do not know this word. Paul, with those leaders, used, as it said in Acts, Moses and the prophets. He used the word to teach them, to show them the prophecies about Jesus and his coming and what he had done. But we've also seen this summer that outside of the church, Paul took different approaches to reach people because that foundation in the word had not yet been set. Much like Jesus' parable of the sower way back at the beginning of summer, that the word hits the path out in the world and it's trampled on because faith does not exist. And I say that because I think so often we see in protests, in signs, in angry mobs, people holding up placards of scripture or quoting and condemning the world, not that the world is right but they are never going to understand the word and the word being used against them. It's meaningless without faith. And that's why we say again and again and again, the most important thing to do out in the world is to build first a relationship with people. Get to know them, be their friend, have them in your lives so that when the time comes and you are given that opportunity to speak of the word, of Jesus, of the hope, of the Jesus that you know and what Jesus has done in your life, your witness is effective. We've seen that this morning. We've seen Paul use it in different places and different ways, some more effective than others. But now Paul has come to Rome, and with that group, he leaves them kind of one parting thought, something that they knew well, something from their own history, that quote from Isaiah. 
And to paraphrase what Paul is saying to them after he quotes that about these people who are ever seeing and don't perceive, ever hearing and don't listen, basically what he's saying to them is don't make the same mistake again as our fathers did. Think about what we have talked about today from Moses and the prophets about Jesus. Hear what they have to say concerning all of this because this message will go out from you. It will go out, as Isaiah said, to a people who walk in darkness that they may see a great light and they will believe. And Luke ends Acts with these final words. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. You know, history tells us that Paul would be released, that Paul would then journey to some of the churches that he planted Some say maybe he made it to Spain to preach the gospel then, but he was arrested again. And this time, it was much more severe. It was under the Roman Emperor Nero's rule as the persecutions began. And this time, Paul would receive severe treatment in his imprisonment. Pastor Lloyd John Ogilvie, who was a retired chaplain of the Senate and a well-known preacher, says this about the ends of the book of Acts. Acts ends abruptly, like an unfinished symphony. I think that it is exactly what Luke intended. It was not the closing of an age, but the beginning of the era of the Holy Spirit at work. The last chapter of the book of Acts thunders for me with the challenge that we are to write the new chapter of the Acts of the Apostles in our time. He goes on to say, when you get tangled up with Jesus Christ, you become a person with a mission. You become a person called, chosen, appointed. You have a task to do. The primary purpose of the Christian faith is not to get on your knees so you can be pious. The primary purpose of the Christian faith is so that you can get on your feet and you can go out into the world. Paul would write some final words in some of his letters. The letter to Timothy would be the last words we have from Paul in Rome in that second imprisonment. Words of urgency, words to remember, words to you and to me. They're words that we hear a lot in the ordination of pastors. And they are these. Paul writes, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, And in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their eyes away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. 
for I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. And then Paul closes his final words to Timothy to tell them that everyone has left him except Luke. And he tells Timothy, do your best to come before winter. The great Paul that we have journeyed with this summer finally came to an end, finally came to the place where, as he said, he had finished the race, he had finished the course. But we watched Paul, and in every circumstance of Paul's life, after his conversion, with power and with wisdom, he spoke of Jesus Christ with urgency. Clarence Edward McCartney was a preacher in the last century. He wrote a sermon called, Come Before Winter. And as I close, he says these words, Before winter or never. There are some things which will never be done unless they are done before winter. The winter will come and the winter will pass, and flowers of springtime will bloom on the graves of some of our opportunities, perhaps the grave of our dearest friend. Before winter or never. You see, there are some things which must be done today, gifts to be shared, love to be expressed our opportunity to impact the world for Jesus Christ, our one chance to make a difference in the life of someone, our only moment for caring ministry, for compassionate service, to be done today or never. Christ never says tomorrow, but always today. There is no place in the Bible where the Holy Spirit says, believe in Christ tomorrow or repent and be saved tomorrow. And the McCartney imagines Timothy receiving that letter from Paul in Ephesus. And this is what he says. Suppose Timothy said, yes, I will start out for Rome, but first I've got stuff to take care of here, business to do, clean up some things before I go. And finally he gets around to leaving and tries to find a ship to take him westward to Rome, only to discover that the last ship has already sailed. No more ships until spring. Imagine Timothy, all through the anxious winter, reproaching himself for not going at once, regretting his delay. Finally, spring arrives, and he is there at the dock for the first ship to set sail. I can see him landing at Nepolis, hurrying up to Rome. There he seeks out Paul's prison, only to be repulsed by the guard. He seeks out the house of Claudia and the gathering of disciples, and he asks, where can he find Paul? And McCartney ends, I can hear them say, are you Timothy? Didn't you know he was beheaded in December? Every time the jailer put the key in the door of his cell, Paul thought you were coming. His last message was, give my love to Timothy when he comes. Paul never 
looked forward to a time of retirement. He never looked forward to a time to sit back, to just be done, to just enjoy. He was never without a sense of urgency. And this, this is our day. This is our diaspora. Our time to write the next chapter in the book of Acts with urgency, with care, because time is short, and we never know when that moment will come. Jesus said in the gospel, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Today is our time to reach the world, to keep the faith, to proclaim the love of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Will you pray with me? Lord, forgive us for the times that we have said there is a tomorrow. Help us always see the urgency, the urgency that we have always seen in Paul in his ministry, his proclamation of you. Let that urgency burn in our hearts, Lord, for you have called us to be your people, to stand on our feet and to go. Use us as you will. Mold us with your love. Empower us by your Spirit that we may know the wisdom to use the power of your word in all situations to touch lives and hearts that those we seek might know you and your great sacrifice for them. We ask this in your name. Amen.